I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design, with an absolutely jam-packed episode featuring some sound from KBiz and IBS 2023. For the record, this show was amazing, and you're about to hear why. I'm going to call it, the pandemic is over. <laughs> I don't know if that's official or not, but I'm calling it. It's done. With that broad statement comes some finer nuanced observations. Yes, people are still getting COVID. Yes, you still see some masked holdouts, but I would equate those to a lingering cough after being sick. I base this on traffic I saw at Las Vegas Market, KBiz, and IBS. It was absolutely jammed. The parties were full of unmasked, imbibing revelers, all in Vegas to see what was happening. And much was happening. You have already heard some of what was happening at the Las Vegas market. If you missed it, check the show notes for podcast feed for links to episodes about the panels and the people. This is a montage from KBiz and IBS featuring brands and design talent from around the country who descended upon Sin City to celebrate design and find inspiration from products and innovation of which there was a ton. It is important to call an end to the pandemic, but to remember all that we've learned. I will say this again, once something unprecedented happens, it's no longer unprecedented, and the odds are that something like it can happen again. And it will. If and when it does, we will be prepared. Or will we? That is a conversation for another day. Today, you are going to hear from some amazing individuals, including Hacker Kitchens, Brig and Jane, John Shaloni, Top Knobs, Sarah Malik Barney, and much more. So let's get after it right after this. I am incredibly proud of Convo by Design in year 10, and I'm equally proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They've been presenting partners of Convo by Design for three years now, and there is a certain amount of pride that comes with saying that the show is presented by the company that is the best in the world at what they do. Thermosol engineers the most exceptional smart shower products and steam shower systems worldwide for a few reasons. They were the first company to design patent the technology here in the U.S. dating back to 1958. Thermosol, a U.S. brand, a U.S. manufacturer in Round Rock, Texas, employs an engineering team that designs, tests, and continuously refines the product. Their quality control team tests every single steam generator before it departs the factory. Who else does that? Nobody. I have had the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me and you probably know this, that the idea of luxury has changed and continues to change, especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom. Steam is mandatory. Or it's just not considered a, a, a luxury space. And if you want to add steam, you have one true option. It's Thermosol. And now, Thermosol, the industry leader in steam, bath equipment, and technology since 1958, is enhancing their already stellar family of products with new indoor and outdoor luxury saunas. Available in three design configurations, each sauna is handcrafted from clear western red cedar or Nordic spruce, inspired by the brilliance of northern European sauna technology and design. A luxury bathroom isn't luxury without steam. If you want luxury, you have one option. It's Thermosol. Check them out at thermosol.com and at thermosol on the socials. First up, John Shaloni from Tom Stringer Design Partners. John's role as vice president is multifaceted. 
and deploys his characteristic energy to oversee client presentations and installations, as well as day-to-day priorities of the design staff. Prior to joining Tom Stringer Design Partners, John ran his own interior design firm, was an executive for Schumacher, and spent four years as chief operating officer of luxury footwear maker Stubbs and Wooten. John has an incredibly broad range of design and business expertise, which he devotes to ensuring the flow of clients' projects is smooth and steady. And I know your partner. I have spoken with him. Last time Tom and I spoke was uh, 2019. Got a chance to see your work and see what you guys do, and it's amazing. And um, thank you. Tell me the story. How'd you wind up? How'd you wind up working with Tom? How'd you wind up working at the firm? How'd you wind up in in the biz? I always like to say when I talk about working with Tom that I pitched my caboose to the right train. Um, I worked for myself for a number of years in Florida and I'm trained as an interior designer. I have a design degree, but I wanted to move to Chicago and sort of found Tom by accident or he found me by accident. He found my resume on the ASID, uh, American Society of Interior Designers national website. And they called and said, you know, we saw your resume. Are you looking for a job? I interviewed and moved to Chicago. It meant giving up my own firm, but it meant joining a much bigger firm. And uh, Tom and I have very similar uh, aesthetic styles and business preferences. And so it was great. We were able to align our, our workflow and I joined the company in 2007. Tell me, tell me about the state of design right now let me preface it with this so we're at kbiz and ibs by the way when you come here is this kbiz or is it ibs for me this is kbiz however i sort of find the most candy at this side of the show because there's just so many fun things that aren't normally in my uh wheelhouse of materiality but uh, it is really kbiz for me and uh and i I like this show. I don't come every year, but I do find it really enjoyable. And when I was telling my team about it yesterday during a staff meeting, a lot of them didn't really know what KBiz and IBS is. And so I'm telling them how sort of fun this can be, even though it's a lot of walking and a lot of seeing. So you have to sort of distill it. Um, But I think if we're talking about the state of design, I mean, it's evident that everyone's really excited to be back out in the marketplace because there's a lot of people here and maybe more than I've seen even pre-pandemic. So I think that says something like huge demand, people want to be out, networking is key in our business. There's so many positive things that come with the show that aren't about the products themselves. So I think that's exciting and design is you know ever-changing. And, and interesting too, you know, I was at market before, did you come for market at all? Las Vegas market? Yeah. I did not, but okay. I was here for the summer market. Okay. So, uh, really interesting because it was it was crowded. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people here, and for everyone who's saying, I, I think you kind of have to, everyone's got an opinion. And sometimes, based on how many followers you have on social media, your opinion seems to matter more, which is completely ridiculous in certain things. And when it comes to how the business is doing, state of the business, state of design, are we entering a recession? Possibly, what does that mean? I think if you look at the foot traffic here and you see everyone that's looking for product and everyone's here looking to see what's new, this is pretty cool. Agree totally. There's you know, a different opinion about everything that's going to happen with the economy and whatnot, but there's 
a certain amount of work that's always going to happen. When housing new starts aren't strong, renovation is strong. And so there's a flip side to sort of every coin. And even during the pandemic, when we were all very scared when it first happened as to what was going to occur, we weren't, you know, in our offices and whatnot. The world sort of turned upside down for us because we were busier than ever and trying to figure out how to work effectively while not really al being allowed to be in our offices. So here's my question for you. How do you work a show like this? And and it's a it's a it's an important question. It's an interesting question too because oh you go and I look around and I see what I like and you can't do that. You cannot do this show in one day. It's not possible. It is not possible for sure. Do you plan I do plan. I have a list of what I'm to see while I'm here, of things I'm interested in seeing. I always visit the big players in my world who I'm interested in doing business with. Kohler, uh, Delta, Brizo, Cosentino. I see them because I want to see them. I want to see their principles. It's maybe not about seeing new product there because I would see it anyway. My favorite part of the shows, though, are the little vendors who have like the 10 by 10 booths in the back where you find new product that hasn't yet emerged, whether it's a new idea that we haven't seen or a better version of some other idea. And you know it's going to be gobbled up by someone else eventually. But I love seeing that early on. And I've always enjoyed that about trade shows. Even like at a high point market, I sometimes like the temporary booths more than the big booths. So um, again, at our firm size, a lot of vendors come to us. We're very lucky. They come all the time to show new products. So if I didn't come here, I would probably know that Cosentino has 12 new products or Kohler has a, you know, a new faucet liner or a new digital technology related to their steam showers. But I would learn that anyway. But the little stuff is sort of interesting to me. And I, I sort of like leave here with this great joy of like, oh my gosh, there's this cool new TV lift that, you know, does everything and the wires don't get tangled. And that's what excites me about this business. And that's the, that's the part, too, that you can't get this from a, from a sample. You know, you, you, you can come here, you can see everything working in, in a real-world scenario, which is, which is great. At the same time, if you think you can just show up to this and do it, you can't. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, Tom and I frequently will go to High Point for one day, and we run in and run out, and we don't go to the, our regulars. We'll go to look at new things just to see what the quality is. But this show is different. I think you can't just be here for a day. Um, in fact, I'm not sure you can do the whole show in a full three or four days. You do have to pick. Uh, I tend to walk up and down the aisles, and then you get distracted, and you run into people you know. But I do make a plan in advance. I know which booths I'm going to. I'm also here on behalf of the American Society of Interior Designers because I'm involved in their leadership group and so we're seeing some vendors who are supporters of, of the society as well so we have some appointments while we're here for that too. AS, I'm glad you brought that up. ASID fell on some hard years for, for a little bit of time and I, I, I think it's because honestly you know what I think? I think the reason is because in 0809 you had all of these new creatives come into design. They came from other places. They were real estate agents, they were food servers, they were students, they were mortgage brokers. They, they came from other industries that were displaced by the, by the recession. They come into design and they're like, oh, I can do that. I can do that, no problem, right? And they came in a different way. They came in as decorators. 
Sure. And maybe many didn't get certified as interior designers. They came in as decorators and then and they hung a shingle, social media, some popped. But because of that, they didn't get certified, they didn't get licensed, they didn't join ASID. And I think that, I don't know, I could be totally wrong, but is there any validity to, to that idea? And then the idea now is ASID seems to be coming around saying, hey, you know what, our local chapters need, need more support. The national arm is starting to say, hey, you know what, we need to, we need to do more to support the trade. And I love that. Is that, is there any, does I, that sound about right? I think you're spot on, honestly. Uh, so full disclosure, I am the chair elect of ASID nationally. I'll take my role as chair in October uh, of 2023. Um, so I have a little bit of an insider knowledge or understanding of this, but I think you're right. And when we had our last recession, there were a lot of people that joined the industry that did not necessarily come from a design background. The thing about this business is there's a place for everyone, whether you are licensed, trained or not, and there's many successful designers who have no degree. However, the idea of ASID is that we advocate on behalf of interior designers across the United States for the protection of the right to practice, for advocacy of design in general, education for designers, so it's for everyone. And um, most everyone can be a member, you may not be a full member, you might be an allied member, for example, but there's a place for everyone. And again, the idea is we are a trade association, essentially, for our profession that supports interior design. So just like you might be a doctor and you join the American Medical Association, as a designer or a decorator, you should join the American Society of Interior Designers. It's the same idea. It is so okay. Clarify this for me. So, do you have to? Do you have to? You don't have to be licensed to be a member of ASID. To have the full appellation behind your name of ASID, you need to have passed the NCIDQ exam. That's, that's what I thought. Okay. But there are plenty of ways to participate as a member, allied member, associate member, industry partner member, where you do not need that full credentialing to be a member and participate. I view this, tell me if I'm wrong, John, but I, I view this as, as a way for you to give back. You don't have to do this. I don't have to do it. You're right. So uh, 30 years ago, almost 30 years ago, I joined ASID as a student member. There were about probably 15 or 20 people, professionals I met at that time, who became mentors to me, were extremely encouraging. Um, I didn't know what it looked like physically to be an interior designer, so I latched on to a couple who I could sort of see myself portraying. They did different things in their careers, but I wanted to be them, and so they're still my idols and mentors today, the same people. Um, I'm doing it because um, they gave their time to me then, and I want to give my time back to someone now. And I think if I could let someone have just 1% of the benefit I've achieved through participation in these kinds of organizations, then lots of people can be successful doing this. And by the way, I think it's an important time to bring this up as well, because you know we're, we're entering another, another phase. And, and I've, I've talked about this a great deal. Um, for, for, the, for those who are listening to the, to the podcast who have heard me talk about this before, you can hit the, the skip 10 seconds ahead button so you don't have, but we're, we're entering another disruption, disruptor phase, right? Where everything has been disrupted and now people who have lost their jobs, people who have been at home and not working or people who don't want to go into an office anymore and want to do something different are changing careers. This is how it happens. In, in 10 or 15 years, we will be talking about many of the designers who enter the trade right now, right? So it's, it's, it's important because we're, we're entering that right now. What do you see for you, for the firm, 
how's the business changed for you? How is the business of design? How is design itself? You know, now secondary kitchens are just the thing, sculleries, butler's pantries. There is so much more. You mentioned um, steam showers. You know, I, I work closely with, with the folks at Thermosol, and it's just amazing what you can what you can do now. What's changing for you? What are you seeing? Well, personally, in terms of just workflow, I manage a lot more projects. It just in general, more management than actual design. Um, I like that in a way, but. Uh, the industry itself and the profession of interior design has changed so much just recently. Technology is a huge part of what we do now, so like every single piece of something that goes into a home has technology behind it. It's better designed, it's better engineered, it's more durable, it's eco-friendly, it's healthier, whatever what you're looking for, everything has that now, which is great. Uh, products perform better. I think in terms of you know design trends, the idea of wellness, in a, I do mostly residential interior design. We do some commercial work and some hospitality, but the idea of wellness is huge. And so we should not be doing anything that negatively affects a client's health. So even if we stay sort of zero in terms of we didn't do anything to increase, we certainly shouldn't be doing anything that decreases. So let's not spec products that are going to off-gas negatively or you know perform poorly, uh, decompose too quickly. That's a no-brainer to me. Um, but we have a responsibility to do something more. So for me, you know, the idea that what we do every day makes a client's life better, they sleep better because of the mattress we selected or the window treatments or the mechanical systems or the air is cleaner, they have better social interaction with their families. I always tease a, a big, you know, a fortune, uh, a former Fortune CEO 10 client of mine, like, hey, your stock went up because of me, because I made you sleep better and your wife is happier and, <laughs> and everything about your stock increase is about what we did for you. And he always like giggles and then I go, no, I'm not kidding. So like really, I want like part of that action here. So we, we laugh about that, but I think we have a responsibility to do the right thing and make everyone's lives better. That is so funny and so amazing and so true. Very true. And you know, I think, look, I, I, I got into the business, I say this all the time, I, I'm, I'm not a designer, I'm not an architect, I, but, I, but I do play one on a podcast, and I, I, I love the business. And that's why you know, I do what I do, because I think it is so important, and the value that designers bring, and everything that we're talking about now, like the, the whole idea of home has changed. And it's funny, you say you, you do the project management side. I think it, it's got to be still fun for you to get back into it and do the design, correct? I, it's my favorite part. And during the pandemic, when the teams weren't in our office, I did a lot more actual interior design. I'm, I'm doing the selections and the design process. And honestly, it gives me the greatest joy as to you know my everyday life. So I would do it every single day, all day long, and maybe leave the management to someone else. But you know, part of what I do every day is make sure the clients are happy and the projects are moving forward at the right pace and that we're going to deliver on time and on budget, which is the hallmark of our firm's success. Um, at Tom Stringer Design Partners. That's what we're known for. We're very good at engineering how to back out of a project. And if a client buys a house in February and they want to be in it in July in Nantucket, we can figure out what we can do to get them in. Even in this day and time, we're very good at that. And the other reason why, one of the things that I think is so amazing and what, you know, with, with design right now, you know, here at KBiz, you also realize too that 
I don't know. I want your opinion on this. I, I, I feel like we are moving more towards a, a European sense of design. And so in, in that, you know, it's funny because everything has always moved towards the American way of doing things it, when it comes to the creative arts like design. But now this idea of a kitchen where, you know, in Europe, in many cases, you have a kitchen, you sell your home. The kitchen, like the sofa, it comes with you. Right. And we've never really grasped onto that concept, but I think we're getting closer. And there are ideas like that, and that's why you have a designer. You know, it's, it's not that they can specify the most beautiful sofa for you, but it's the materials and the off-gassing and the, where it comes from, the sourcing, the specification. Can it be delivered? You know, and now it's other things too. Like, if you love this kitchen, guess what? You may have it three homes from now. Yeah? Uh, I think that will come eventually. Funny enough, like 20-something years ago, I was in a particular real estate market, and I looked at a house, and there were no appliances with the house. And they were like, well, in this market, people take their appliances, right? And so that happens in certain areas. Some houses sell with appliances, whether they're built in or they're just sitting there. But in other markets, they take them forward. I am very familiar with the whole concept of the European kitchen um, and things moving forward with you. I. I love when houses have or residences have a sense of place and many of our clients have more than one home so I'm conscious of designing something that gives them a sense of place when they're in that home so that not everything's the same. The one thing about the European aesthetic because there's a certain amount of modernity to it um, that seems to be timeless and can sort of fit into any situation I think that's regal in a way but on the opposite hand like taking a Christopher Peacock white, you know, painted kitchen and putting it into a modern house when the client decides they're, they do modern kitchens, by the way, so I'm not throwing them under the bus, but, you know, putting, moving that forward kind of thing, it doesn't make sense. But the idea of modular kitchens that can be moved, it's very appealing and I sort of think it's cool. Um, and kitchens don't have to be that big then either, which is sort of interesting in terms of the downsizing of, a, of residential work. Okay, so... I'll get a little silly for a minute as I wrap this up, but you mentioned Christopher, and I, I love I love Chris. He, Christopher's amazing. And it's still like the hallmark of good kitchen, right? People yeah, yeah, yeah. All reference it. Yeah, but no, I'm it's talking like about Kleenex. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. But I'm talking about him. Yeah, of like course. I, no, yeah, and right, I just right. I just spoke to him. I had yes. him, I had him on um, a, a couple uh, about a month ago, and um, we were talking about music because he's a drummer. And what do you do when you're not designing? Oh God. My husband would say I only work 24 hours a day, by the way. Um, That's tragic. I, well, but I like it because I'm very passionate about what I do. So I spend a lot of time looking through art and auction catalogs because I'm passionate about art um, and collecting even when I can't afford it, like I'm dreaming. So I like that process. We love to go to museums. Uh, much like Tom, we love to travel. Uh, so while we may not do as many international trips a year as Tom does, uh, for example, we are constantly on the road and anywhere we are, whether it's uh, a new town 30 miles from us or somewhere across you know, the world, we're always looking to explore something new. And it's inspiring to me to come back with ideas, whether it's about texture or color or even how they do things. I like to bring that forward to our work. Love that. Thank you, John. Up next is the incomparable Brig and Jane. You heard Bregan on the show, most recently as moderator of the panel from Las Vegas Market. Here, Bregan and I just catch up a bit. So I have a question for you. I, first a statement, then a, then a question. 
So you should know, I so loved that panel yesterday. I enjoyed that panel. I mean, Josh, I, when you get a bunch of podcasters together who know how to have conversations, I knew it was going to be great, but there was a lot of vulnerability that came through and so much audience engagement, and I'm just so grateful. It was awesome, but what I, what I loved about it was I'm, I'm never the guest, and you were masterful. Oh, thank you, because and I was channeling you, and I felt like, I was like, wait, shouldn't Josh and I switch places? I'm so used to being interviewed and not moderating that it was a challenge for me, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. Was it? What did you think? Did you like it? I enjoyed it. I, I very much did. I, as I said, do a lot more of the being interviewed than the moderating, and so it was a different hat for me. And I liked the engagement that I could have because I didn't have to answer the questions correctly. I got to really lean into my inquisitive mind and bring that out. And so for me, that was a really fun role. Anyway, that was fun. What? Anyway, that was fun. Yes, it and was I, fun. And I love that. Um, so, you know, you and I first met, I want to say 2017. Probably. Ish. It was my first big project. That's what I remember. I was working on the house in Bel Air. It's 46,000 square feet. I was like, okay, I'm a real designer now. And and this lovely guy, Josh Cooperman, was like, I'll put you on my podcast. And I was like, yay, I've made it. Is that what made you feel like you made it? It was part of it. Yeah, it was something that was large enough and I, that it it made me believe in myself and my capabilities as a design firm to do that job and be so involved and to do it well. Um, you know, it set me apart in my own mind, I think, more that I'm not just a decorator. You know, these aren't hobby jobs, like overseeing construction and design and build and the team and the charts and everything that goes into it is really a business. and. Um, yeah. Did you ever feel like it was just a hobby for you? I think that what frustrated me is knowing the amount of effort I put into it and, and how much I love my career, but seeing other people react to it as if, you know, I'm just like, I think for stylists, right? People think that they just like pick out clothes in their closet and, and it was more that public perception of like, oh, you're a designer. You know, that made me feel like maybe, maybe I shouldn't have such career expectations. Really? Yeah. Outwardly. You know, it's interesting because I, I have always felt like, and that's why I got into this, because designers are artists, designers are musicians, designers are creatives. You are a creative and it is a creative endeavor. Yep. Design is, is, is an art form. Mm -hmm. It really is when done well. But you can say the same for music or dance or fine art. Yep. I think we probably all struggle with some form of imposter syndrome because sitting there and painting in your living room and then translating that into food on the table is a very far-fetched, weird path to get success out of the thing that you like doing because it's how you express yourself. Right? Um, so, yeah, for me, that imposter syndrome is still there. <laughs> no. Yes. Seriously. Oh, yeah. Explain, explain, 
Not what it, I know what it is. Explain where you think that comes from, because I mean, seriously, Bregan, you have blown up. Thank you, and I still, I'm still extremely nervous. I think people don't understand that about me. Like our moderating panel yesterday, like I still get butterflies. I'm still like, why am I here? Josh should be moderating this. Did they even invite me? And am I cool enough to be in this room? I mean, it's just inherently in me to feel like I don't fit in in the room and I think in some ways that has formulated my career and it's part of what I'm trying to brand and market you know Um, but there's the other side of it where I'm incredibly insecure in my success because I'm a perfectionist I get that. At the same time, you also have to have that hunger and drive because if you ever do feel, I'm just kind of yeah. thinking through and walking through it in real time. Right. Like if you ever do finally feel like, hey, I've, I've made it, I'm here, then the hunger's gone. The yeah. drive is gone, right? There's no, there's no push. Yep. And I think that I am a product of my birth sign, if you want to call it. I'm a Capricorn. And Capricorns are known for knowing nothing other than climbing the mountain to a higher point. And it's less um, ego-driven, you know, when you think about climbing a mountain or reaching the top. It is that perpetual climb that I don't know how to turn off. What I also find interesting, too, and I wanted to ask you about this, the experience. So we're, we're back at KBiz in, yeah. La- in Las Vegas, loving it. The, the experience has got to be different for you, though. Like... When when you're coming out as a relatively, you know, newer designer in 2014, 2015, I don't know if you came to KBiz yeah. then, but yeah. when you come there, you're like, oh my gosh, I got to go educate myself and I got to look and I got to go see and figure out what's what. Yep. But you're not, that's not what you're, what you do now. I mean, right. how do you, how do you, how do you balance that between you've got the media stuff you have to do, you've got the moderating stuff you have to do. You've got the judging stuff you've, you've got to do. You've got the client meetings that you have to have. Uh-huh. But at the same time, you're, you're still kind of wanting to go look around and discover something because that's Absolutely. the fun of being here. Yeah, that is the fun of being here. You come here for the innovation. You come here for the inspiration. Um, you know, I think that one of the things I miss is the innocence of not having a schedule that was so packed full and I think out of that um, you know people don't realize those first few visits really do sort of set the stage for who you're gonna work with in the future but I didn't know that at the time Um, and so I try to find moments to still find those organic things that draw me in to somebody's booth and explore the why of that and not just have the schedule packed every 20 minutes which it is, um, but I, I, I literally have, this is your time to walk around in my schedule. Have you had that yet? No, it's right after this. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Okay. Okay. So how do you do that? Now, you have the one school of thought, whereas I'm not going to plan anything. I'm yep. just going to go walk and see. Or I know that this area is filled with people who you know with companies that I'll never see any I won't see them on the pages of any of the trades I won't hear them you know being talked about so I'm gonna go try to find those which which one do you lean on lean to 
I mean, right now, because I have to, my life is very planned and I enjoy the moments of uh, ease it sort of gives me to know that there's a schedule. It allows me to be freer because I don't have this running to-do list in the back of my mind. It is on paper and then I can just mosey around and even if it's 15 seconds, my brain isn't full of the what should I be doing. Wouldn't it be great if life in general was like that? Oh, I, tr I try as much as I can. <laughs> and you? I think you're the same, right? Like, I know my summer vacations already. I know what's happening in October. We, we briefly mentioned and talked about that yesterday. It's like, for me, there's freedom in that planning. With that, though, do you find that at all restrictive when it comes to other creative things you want to do like like you you had a podcast you don't do that anymore right right did was you not a part of the plan thought I'd have it forever did you yeah yeah I really did what made you stop um I had that podcast with a partner and we were in it together and I think as my career um you know I had to be on tv more I think I think it it was a struggle that I wasn't recognizing to keep so the thing going as this other thing was taking off. Um, and I also, sometimes those are just group decisions where you look up and you're like, okay, we're, we're spending a lot of time and energy on this and you can't um, make the choice for the other person to want to do it. And so um, sometimes things are a season. And, and there's a reason for that. Uh-huh. Although I look at myself now and I'm like, mom influencers and where we were in podcasting i mean we would be on diaper boxes had we kept it going i right? believe that well but it's you know it's funny and i could see it you're just like <laughs> but with as much success as you've had deservedly so and how much more is in your future it gives you a little bit of flexibility and freedom to say Here's what I want to do. I want to do that again. I don't right. want to do it the exact same way. I want to go do something a little bit different, knowing what I know and learning what I learned. You know what's interesting to me, too, is that I see some very distinct similarities between those who podcast and designers. Mm. You know, there is, and we talked about this yesterday, yeah. there's the, those who, who say, you know, I'm just going to crack a mic and talk for an hour, and it's going to be great. Yeah. You know what? It's not going to be great. It may be entertaining for a while, but that doesn't mean it's got longevity. You have, to, you have to work at this. It takes time. You have to learn your craft. It's a skill. Being a designer, or even those who are not licensed, who are decorators, yeah. there is a skill. You know, I, yeah. once I, I had a conversation with Alex Papacristides, and you know, he, he's like, I'm a decorator. Yep. He owns it because that's who he wants to be, and he's very comfortable in, in what he does. He, some of these people don't feel in need to, to have letters or yep. other, they do what they do and they do it very well. But One. at the same time, he, he's learned his craft. He knows exactly what he does and why he does it. And, and one of the things you said earlier was kind of relating it to a musician. It's like you've got to put it all together. I think anyone thinks that they can pick good things, you know? And especially we all live in homes, so anyone can pick pretty things for the home. Being a designer is turning that into a song or, you know, being a podcaster is putting that intro, splicing it up, changing the topic, like, so that, because there is a rhythm behind the action of the talent. 
you know, and sometimes you learn what it is you want, which is great, but sometimes you learn what it is you don't want. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting too. And sometimes it goes the same way about learning about people and and their trade and the skill and, and the things that they bring to the table. I was... I interviewed a designer years and years ago, and it doesn't matter who she is or what design house she was on, but she she produced a really awful space. Okay. And I didn't understand. I was doing. I was working with with the design house, and they said, you know, here's our designers. And I went in and, and I spoke to her. She couldn't explain her inspiration. She uh. she couldn't put five sentences together about what it meant or why she did it. Basically. Yeah she wanted to be a designer and she found her way to get into a design house the, okay. which, which which by the way it happens sometimes right well and i was gonna say i have a lot of people in my firm and have always sort of had people who would not say they were designers you know what i mean they didn't come to my company because that was their talent there was a motivation or a relationship or a skill that they had that could support the design business so i think that there are a lot of roles in this industry and the visual expression that aren't always putting together the whole final picture yes but my and my point in in that story is to sort of drive home the the point that being a designer isn't what you call yourself. It's mm-hmm. not It's not doing a design house or getting on a page of a magazine or... It's not about that. Yeah. It's about how you approach the work and what you do with the work because ultimately at the end of the day, the work is what's lasting. The yeah. work is, is what matters. And there are wonderful artists out there that never get discovered. I know. And there are great designers that just can't seem to put it all together. Yeah. But it's the ones that do. Yeah. And that's what's so special and that's what's so interesting about it. And because of that, you know, what I what I, one of the things that I'm just so fascinated about by you uh, by about you is this and maybe it's the Capricorn in you, but <laughs> it is that it is that continual drive. Yeah. The continual push. I mean, when I look at at your social, I'm exhausted. <laughs> and I am I am just humbled. My social media is terrible. I told you yesterday because I can only, I can only, I've learned what I can only be good at. Right. And so I just stick and to that. You only have so much time in a day. Yeah. But the other thing that you do, which is also, it's an art form in and of itself, but the ability to delegate uh. and the ability to offshore certain responsibilities and roles yeah. is just amazing. But it's interesting because you're super driven. But you're, you don't seem to be a control freak to me. I, I don't think I am either, but I enjoy giving other people control and letting them fail and succeed because that's the only way I was taught. It was when somebody actually handed me the responsibilities and said, here, try it. And I built this company for myself, for my family, as a woman, as a single mom who was given a talent, but I can't teach that talent. I can teach all of the how-tos. I can teach the systems I use. I can teach, you know, to think things through and write them down. And, And that, for me, has always been part of the growth of the company, especially when it comes to hiring other people. I really want them to leave my company 
and go do whatever it is they want to do in life and to have learned 10, 20 things that they picked up working for me to be able and go and do that. And I mean, that's true. My girls have moved on. One has her own design business, one a doula, one's in, you know, launched a workout company, but they still tell me and come back to me and they're like, oh my gosh, that spreadsheet, whatever X, Y, Z that I didn't even know I was teaching them helped them foundationally build their own companies. What is on your design to-do list? I don't even want to call it a bucket list. I want to call it a to-do list. Like, here's what I know. I, I Here's a project. Here's the type of project I want. It's funny. I was joking around before. I was like, okay, hotel, multi, yeah. multifamily, international space station. <laughs> I mean, because didn't, did you, did you ever do a yacht? I did. You I worked did. in the yacht industry. That, that's yes, right. Yes, I did. And um, that's where I actually learned a lot about just building and building on the water is like something entirely different. And yachts have components that need to be replaced in an, when they're in international waters. So there's a complete sourcing uh, you know, scarcity because should the handle break in the south of France, they need a 1-800 number that's international to replace the door handle. Um, I actually helped put together the entire $12 million ship's manuals because we had to source and tell them how to replace the lights that are in the floating ceiling because the ceiling has to be floating because the boat moves, you know. All those sorts of things um, were interesting for, for the start of my career somehow. That's fascinating. So what is on your to-do list? What is, okay. what is a project you want to do? So I think for me, one of the things that I'm working towards is being available to the everyday consumer. I feel like all of my knowledge has been used for clients. A lot of my spaces I am proud of. but. I come in contact, whether it's pillows, candles, trays that I use to design, you know, a tablescape. And one of the things that I don't see is myself represented in mass market retail. You know, for me, it was Whitney Houston and Tyra Banks. And I think uh, fashion has a lot of diversity. I think one of the things for me as a woman is I want to reach the little girls that have the same talent and doing the same weird creating in their bedrooms that I had and just be able to give them good products, but also be able from a lifestyle perspective go, you can be me too. And so that's that's my big goal right now. What does that look like? Is that a marketing line? Is that a is that a is that oh, a content platform? Like like a dream I just like set out there because I do it. I'm like, okay, one day there will be a designer kit and it's gonna be a toy and it's gonna come in a clear backpack and it's gonna have a measuring tape in it, it's gonna have a pencil, it's gonna have a fake color wheel, and it's gonna be the Brigan Jane designer backpack for an eight-year-old girl to play house, but as a designer. Like, that's where I want to get. I don't know how we're going to get there, Josh, but. I love that. That I is want so that. cool. That is so cool. I want that. That is so cool. 
thank you for letting me say it. When you say it out loud, you, you make a promise it. to yourself. You manifest it. Have yeah. you ever said that out loud before? Maybe once to like my sister. <laughs> I think that's really cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, what else was I going to ask you specifically? About? Oh, you were on a little TV show. Yes. So many, so many TV things going on. Tomorrow, actually, uh, the episode that I judged with the Property Brothers is coming out on Brother versus Brother. So it's just really amazing that my career has sort of shifted into just being able to be with like-minded people who are really talented in their space, who are good people. You know, Drew and Jonathan are awesome as human beings. And like, it's fun to be able to be a peer in their space and go on their show and, and have fun. How did the TV side come together for you? So is, in, it the, is it the publicity side or is it a representation side? How did it come together for you? So I grew up modeling and acting from five to 12. So it's an industry that I respect and understand as a job. And, and it does take a level of performance and understanding to do anything you do well and to do it on camera. So I always say if I were a doctor, I would be one of the doctors who's on camera. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter, I think, you can translate any talent into representing yourself publicly on TV if you have that thing. And so I never wanted to be an actress. I never wanted to continue a career in print and commercials. But once I found what I loved, I wanted to turn on that talent and have it support the thing I was passionate about. Okay. That's where it comes in. Do you like doing TV? I like doing TV. I still get nervous. Again, like I'm like... Paralyzingly nervous or just... No, the, the sentence that somebody else told me probably five, six years ago that gives me so much freedom is they don't want you to look bad. I mean, yeah. unless you're on the network where they like women fighting, yeah. which I'm not. Yeah. Nobody wants you to look bad in their commercial. They want you to look good. And that gave me so much freedom because I was like, yeah, if there's a bad angle, they're not going to want it in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that that every time I get nervous, I'm like, they, their job is to make me look good. Therefore, make their TV show look good. Therefore, make their network look good. So you can trust in that. Fair enough. I love that. Yeah. And, and you know, just ra wrapping this bad boy up, um, it was an absolute joy to see you. Oh, same. It was transformationally fun to be on your panel. <laughs> I, no, seriously, I, I loved it. And I, I, will, I, I will tell you why. You talked about um, the vulnerability. Yeah. Right? Being able to tell some of those stories again in in context in context was really really fun for me so thank you for making that possible and i know we're just getting started because you have brought some very important conversations and panels together and i always enjoy the stamp that you put on the things that you do and i'm excited for for more of it as our both our careers continue going i know they're going to overlap i love that me too you're awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Josh. We are living in a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively. 
with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors, to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community, so you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Thank you, Bregan. This is Roz Murphy. I was trying to figure out when the last time you and I spoke. It was actually July of this of 2022. Okay. Time flies. It's well. It's funny because for me, it's it's in two parts. It's one is when we talk. The second is when the episode is published. Yes. Right. Um, but it's nice to see you in person because when I saw you last time, it was it was virtual. It was yes, Zoom. exactly. And you know, it's it's so funny. And I, I wanted to ask you this: like for you, being with clients virtually versus in person, is the, how is the experience different for you? I personally prefer in person. I think the energy and the communication is so much better. Uh, I think that it feels a little bit less stilted and you really are able to develop a better relationship in person. And luckily, almost all of my clients are in town. I have um, potentially one out of town job, but they actually come to Dallas all the time. So I get to see them. <clears throat> so I lived in Dallas for nine years. I love Dallas. Tell me how, but that was a while ago. How has Dallas changed as a design city? I definitely feel that uh, contemporary design is still at play, but most of the people that I know that are doing new construction, depending on the neighborhood, are doing classic style homes. And I would say 90% of my clients have more of a, a classic transitional style. That's interesting because, you know, when you look at, when you look, and Dallas is an interesting city to me. And being from LA, you mentioned you have you you come to LA. You may, you have family there, so you you come to Los Angeles. So you've you've been there. LA and and North Texas, Dallas in particular, very very similar. You've got LA, you've got Dallas, you've got Orange County, you've got Fort Worth. There's a different vibe between LA and Orange County. There's a way different vibe between Dallas and Fort Worth. Absolutely. Or if you're from Fort Worth, Fort Worth Dallas. Yes. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> right? I learned that when I when I moved there. Yes, they, they are not the same, <laughs> but not. equally great. You are either from Dallas, Fort Worth, or you're from Fort Worth, Dallas, based on where you live, which side of Arlington you live on. Yes. And the vibe is different, and the feel is different. But one of the things that I love about Dallas is you've got the Nasher, you've got arts, you've got 
you know, world-class sports. You've got the, the, the Speedway outside of Fort Worth, which brings in, you know, a ton of new business and different people. Anyway, you've got a, it's a, it's vibrant and it's different. And the amount of people that are moving into the Metroplex is just staggering. How has that affected the business and how has that affected your design? I would say that it's affected sort of everyone's business from the residential real estate market because during COVID we had a lot of people from California move to Dallas. Uh, I actually had some clients that bought one of my other clients' home that moved from California. And uh, what's interesting is that they think that Dallas is such a bargain compared to California. And uh, a lot of times the projects are a lot easier to pitch because our costs are so much lower. It's interesting too. I first moved to Dallas in 95. And people from Texas were saying the exact same thing about California that they're saying now. And by the way, let's not forget that Texans are the ones that started this whole thing by moving to Denver. So the people in Colorado were saying the same thing about Texans that Texans have said about Californians moving in and taking everything over. And I have to say, I did the same thing. My husband and I moved to Denver from Dallas in 2002 and lived there for three years. And um, I don't know if they love the Texans so much. They don't. They don't. But here's, here's what's interesting, too. When people from one geographic location move to another geographic location, they bring with them different ideas. Some of them are terrible. You know, and, and in addition to the ideas, the crowding and the traffic and the costs and the inflation, just the real estate inflation of pricing is, is really hard, especially for, for locals. At the same time, it builds community and it brings in an influx of, of new ideas. And I see that in Dallas. When it comes to resources as a designer, tell me about the design community because it's close, it's close knit. You guys really, you seem to really like each other. I think that it's definitely a collaborative environment. And I think that there are so many amazing resources that are so close together. I have to say it's working in the design center. My office is right near um, all of the showrooms and it just makes it sort of fun to bop around and visit all the showrooms. I take my clients on field trips and we go from one place to the other. Uh, but I do feel like there, there's a diversity in the aesthetic for sure with designers, but I think for the most part, um, it's very collaborative. When you come to a show like this, how do you navigate it? What are you looking for? What are you looking for here? And what have you seen that you're absolutely crushing on? So I come to this show because I do a lot of new construction, custom homes, and I feel that I always want to be able to see the latest and greatest when it comes to plumbing, tile, countertops, uh, appliances, and I feel like I'm able to hyper-focus where when I'm at home, I go to the same showrooms that only have a very small amount of each product line to be offered. Um, so I think that this show is huge. I've never been to the Vegas show. I did go to the Orlando show last year, which is very easy. And uh, I'm finding it a little difficult to navigate. Uh, I should have brought some breadcrumbs to find my way back to the shuttle. The one thing um, is your choice of footwear is spectacular, very smart. 
Are those comfortable? They're really comfortable. Um, my gold <laughs> sneakers. I'm. I'm. I love a pump. I normally am rocking a pump, but I just was going to be hobbling if I did that. So. Yeah, absolutely. But back to the original idea. So. What have you seen that you're crushing on, and, and, and how do you navigate this, and what are you looking for? I'm really looking for in-person, touch-and-feel products with the plumbing. There are a few projects where I've specified faucets, but they can't see them in person, and I'm really wanting to take video, etc. I think Kohler did an amazing job with their um, vignettes, especially collaborating with Ann Sachs to create those really luxurious bathrooms and it was very playful. I was sort of crushing on the colorful commodes. There is a lineup of commodes, pink, yellow, blue, lavender, my favorite color. I mean, I might have to switch out my toilets and go right back to the 60s. 60s in look, but not in performance. Correct. Let's hope. Which is which is great. Yes. Which is really great. Um, it's interesting too because Texas doesn't have the same restrictions you talk about toilets and it's really interesting because in California you know for a long time and it's it's unfortunate that this happens but because of the rules and regulations and the low flow so people would do a project get it signed off on and then drive to Arizona or Nevada to go pick up their new toilets and bring them back to California Texas you don't really have to do that but I am curious is there, even though you don't have to, is there a feel for sustainable design? Is there, and that's the interesting part of this, is like, in California you have to have it because you have to have it. But in Texas you don't have to have it, but is it still relevant? I think that it's still relevant, and people are really becoming aware of the different sustainable options out there. Um, I, I can't say that my clients are obsessed with sustainability, but I think slowly but surely we'll get there. I love that. I am so thrilled that we were able to sit down and reconnect. Roz, thank you for doing this. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you, Roz. Now a bit from our friends at Haker Kitchens. This German brand with over 125 years of tradition is making waves with exceptional design. This is Andreas Gomeringer, president of Hacker Kitchens North America. Uh, my name is Andreas Gomeringer. I'm the president of Hacker Kitchens in North America. And Hacker is uh, one of the biggest manufacturers uh, in Germany. Tell me about the, the origin of the company. Um, Hacker has been founded 125 years ago by a call guy um, called Hermann Hacker. And nowadays it is led by the same family in fourth generation. That's amazing. Where, where do you manufacture? So our manufacturing plants, they are uh, in Rüdinghausen. This is in the west of Germany. And your U.S. operations are out of Miami? Exactly. We have uh, our U.S. headquarters in Miami. So we're here at KBiz, IBS 2023. What is what does an event like this do for you? And and in the context of it being post-pandemic, sort of re-engaging with the design community, and especially you know, last year KBiz was in Florida. Now it's back in Las Vegas. So you've got a new group that maybe wasn't. Were you there last year? Yes. Yeah, we went to so, Holland last year. Okay, so you have another a group that you know maybe a lot weren't at the event last year. What is what is an event like this? What does KBiz mean to you? 
as as a company, um, specifically as it as it relates to engaging with the design and building community. No, being here in Las Vegas at Cavis for us is the great event, basically the major event for us in the entire year. Especially after that long time of pandemic we have seen over a couple of years. We went to Orlando last year for the first time, but we've been told that Vegas is even more spectacular, bigger, and we love to connect to the design community here. Definitely is one of the major events uh, for us and our company to show our product and our brand um, to the design community. And and what have you, tell me about the product. Tell me about the differentiations in the product. Tell me about the manufacturing. Tell me about the product sourcing, the research and development. I know I've got a lot of questions for you, but tell me about the design and the the performance of the product itself and who's specifying it and, and why. That's a lot of questions. It wow. is a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So let's let's start with the design options you, you have with Hacker. Um, Hacker, as we are having one of the most modern production facilities across Europe, we have the ability to customize basically any cabinets you desire. What is our strength is that we have a portfolio, not just laminates, lacquer, the original finishes. We really offer real wood veneers, glass finishes, ceramic finishes, uh, stone finishes even. This variety really gives you the option to design and specify in a way that your customers want to see the product. And another strength is our competence in lacquering. So we, we do have our lacquer doors we are offering in 1950 colors. So the entire NCS scheme you can use and apply to your kitchen. We also adjust our cabinets to US dimensions um, for accommodating appliances, which is a big plus compared to other manufacturers you'll find uh, from Germany. And yes, the design variety is um, unbelievable. We, we call it uh, No Limits. That has been also um, our claim at our last exhibition because there's almost no limits on what you can do with our cabinetry. What's interesting too, to me, and, I, and I'm, I'm curious about this, specifically as it, as it relates to the research and development team. And I think about this in the terms of the fact that the last time I was at KBIS was in 2019, here in Las Vegas. The conversations that I had with manufacturers and designers and architects and builders, the conversations were completely different than this year, right? So much has happened and so much has taken place. The kitchen, the heart of the home, right? What's really interesting, like in Southern California, the idea of a secondary kitchen, a second kitchen, was was fairly commonplace on the on the upper end of the luxury side. You know, whether it was a, an Asian kitchen where you would have a, an Asian design model, rather where where you would have a traditional kitchen, which was the heart of the home, but then you would have a secondary working kitchen. You know, for for grease and odors and 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 splatter, and it was more. It was it was a, a dirty kitchen. It was for working, right? So you'd have two. Um, a kosher kitchen, where you would have two of everything in, in the same space. Or another kitchen, you'd have a scullery, or you'd have a but butler's pantry, or you'd have something in, in the bedroom for a coffee bar and a small kitchen. It's just amazing to me the, the dynamic changes that are taking place in this particular room. The, the kitchen has changed dramatically. As a company, 
this is not your kitchen of 20 years ago. It's it performatively, it has changed so much. Tell me about your engineering department. Tell me about your research and development team. How do you navigate the changes that the design community is trying to enact on behalf of their their clients? How do you navigate that? And what is the engineering? And it's funny as we talk. And for those who are listening, I'm looking over your shoulder at a video that is showcasing your, your factory, which really sort of informs the question because it's spectacular. Just, I'm watching just the science. It looks like an auto factory. It's amazing. Tell me about the engineering and the R&D that goes into the product and how it informs the changes that you make. Josh, you're definitely right. So if you look around um, where we are standing right now, basically we don't stand in a kitchen, right? You see on your right-hand side, there's sideboards, part of the living rooms. In the back, you see a bar um, hidden behind pocket doors. And as you mentioned before, the fabrication process changed as well. So what we are doing basically in the research and development part of it, for sure, we follow trends, we observe trends from other industries and uh, and also we, we look what's what's happening out there and we also see in terms of the material um, changes that people prefer prefer more natural materials than it has been before it becomes basically more interesting and the trend you mentioned before with the second kitchen this is real right so people really want to have their show kitchen highlight kitchen close to the living room where they gather with other people and then they want to have their working kitchen and this is great with our product you can do that right and definitely there's a lot of things happening material is developing the way we produce and, and we engineers developing for instance we have a laboratory and in the laboratory we nowadays we even do um, UV light testing this is so fascinating because we know you talked about California, we know that you have kitchens that are exposed to sunlight probably all day. And what the guys are doing in Germany, they are simulating 15 years of sunlight um, directly hitting your cabinetry to, to see if there are any changes or alterations in the material. So nowadays it is such on such a high level in terms of high tech, so definitely not comparable to what we have seen 20 or 30 years ago. It's interesting too, so do you, and, and I'm going back to this, um, I wanted, when I think of German made, I think of highly engineered, I think of, of dutifully researched, and I want to talk to, to you about that too, because again, looking at the factory and the, the manufacturing that goes into this, talk to me about your engineering department, because that's something that the design community doesn't often talk about sort of what goes on behind behind the beautiful material. The highly, the people, right? The, the engineers who are crunching numbers, who are doing the work. And I tell you why I ask this. I ask this because in the past you would look at the idea of, of a kitchen design and you would say this kitchen is going to be here exactly as it is for 25, 30 years. Fair. Because there, the kitchen is changing so dynamically currently. You have some designers who want to go with floating shelves. You want some designers who want to get away from uppers altogether because they want to apply some other element of design there. 
you have the appliance manufacturers who are putting more in drawer instead of traditionally how appliances were used. That has to change the way that you engineer your kitchens. It has to change the way, and, and plus you're making room for other things. You're making room for warming drawers and refrigerated drawers and dishwasher drawers, and you're making room for coffee systems, and you're making, it's changing so rapidly where you look at a kitchen and you say, you know what, this may be traditionally how the kitchen footprint looks for 25 years, but it, we have to we have to change the way that we think. The engineers are the ones who change the way you think. Tell me about that process, the science behind the design a little bit. Well, what I do think is that it has become more complex than in the past. So if you look into our sales manual and into the number of articles and cabinets we are having in our range, it's way more than 60,000 different options. And I believe the main driver is what you have spoken about. You have different tastes, different people, ones that want upper cabinets, others that don't like upper cabinets. And our purpose is really to create still sustainable kitchens, right? We don't want to have the kitchens move out of the house after 10, 15 years because a new generation is coming in or whatever. It's our main interest to design and uh, engineer sustainable uh, with the kitchen that we have. So there's multi-generation um, involved basically in that process. And the engineering team, I think the more difficult task nowadays is really to make sure that we are able to offering all these wonderful options to understand the needs, to understand it and really to navigate through that, making sure that in a modern production that is with such a high automation level, making sure that each and every cabinet is produced, uh, customized, right? We have customized cabinets, so basically you can adapt each and every cabinet, the, the size, the color, um, the finishes, the materials. And I think this is a task for the engineers I wouldn't be able to manage that, to be honest. So I'm very proud of that, people. And but it but it is great. So so we just bring the orders to the factory, and um, they exactly do what's need, whatever is needed. And this is a great task. So I'm not an engineer. No, but I, I, but, I, but, get I that. but I know that it is a huge task, and and um, it's it's great um, what has been achieved so far. Yeah, and I get that. And I think the reason I asked the question is. Um, because kitchens, the requirement of today's modern kitchen, it's more performative than yes. it had to be in the past. You have you have things that move. You have you have transforming. You have raising uh, consoles. You have surfaces that raise and lower and move and shift and transform, which makes which makes the kitchen again more performative it's it's almost like a highly functional garage where it's a workshop a kitchen is a workshop it is you know yeah, and true. and traditionally it's like okay well the the range goes here and the refrigerator goes there and we try to put a triangle here because you want access to but it's it's not like that anymore like the the idea of the traditional triangle has just been changed so that's why i asked the question i think it's absolutely amazing and anyone who's interested in uh, haker kitchens go uh, again go check the show notes and uh, i'll have links to the company thank you for doing this
All right. Thank you very much, Joss. Appreciate it. Another brand I found at IBS this year is Top Knobs. This is a state of the industry with Matt Vecchiola. Name is Matt Vecchiola, and I'm the Senior Director of National Sales for the Top Knobs division. So we're here at KBiz, and I, I, I love that I'm back. First time in three years. Yeah, right? Yeah. Did you go to Orlando? We skipped. We opted out of last year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're back. We're back. Yeah. And it's funny because some people said in advance coming into this, they were like, I don't know if people are going to be traveling. I know. And I was like, I, I think people are going to travel. And I was I at think the, the second I sat on the airplane and saw that every single seat was taken, I was like, yeah, I think the show's going to be pretty busy. Yeah. And I was at Las Vegas Market um, yeah. prior to this, and it was jammed. Yeah. And this is like, this is wall to wall. And we're talking, we're, this is a this, huge event. This is probably the busiest I may have seen it in like... 15 years almost. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, love that. What does that mean for you? And it, and it's funny because the I I always put the sales side do not in contrast against but actually with R&D and the design side, right? Because the sales side is really important. You're you're the one that's that's educating Yes. The, the dealer. So talk to me about that relationship and what an event like this means and what you get to talk to these guys about. Well, this is really exciting for us because we launch all of our new products at the beginning of the year and KBIS is the perfect place, uh, perfect platform for us to springboard all of our new launches. So we have a new collection for Top Knobs called the Coddington Collection. First time anyone's seen, it's the first time it's seen the light of day, they're seeing the light of day uh, is here at KBIS. And uh, we're super excited about this collection and our customers, you know, it's a, it's a common theme. Everybody comes into the Top Knobs booth and they say, what's new? Where's your new board? And it's just so awesome to show it to them. And, you know, nine times out of 10, it's a customer who's already buying from us. And we, we have a nice little aggressive display promotion here. And, you know, we got our new products uh, on order here at the show to ship soon. And uh, they get these products right on display in their showrooms. And, you know, it's great. Talk to me about talk to me about the Coddington. Talk yeah. to me about the full collection. Talk to me about relationships with designers. Do you do partnerships? How does this work? Yeah, so we actually have a design team, in-house design team, led by Christine Zimmer, uh, and she designs all of our new products. Uh, this particular collection, it's uh, it's a modern industrial collection, is the, the catchphrase that we're using for that series. And the great thing about it that we have with uh, with everything that we do with Top Knobs is the depth and breadth that we offer from. It's available in eight different finishes, multiple sizes, and matching appliance pools at 12 and 18 inches. So it's got uh, you know, a ton of variety, a ton of depth and breadth to uh, what we offer with that collection. And um, it's right on point with what the trend in the design world is, uh, especially as it relates to finish. Um, gold and black are the most popular finishes in the industry, and we have our honey bronze finish and our black finish uh, featured throughout that entire collection. So we think we have another uh, hit collection uh, for 2023. So, black and bronze. Yeah. Is, is, has that changed at all? Are you? Yeah. So this it's called honey bronze. It's a gold finish, kind of a satin brass sort of look. Uh, we didn't have it in Top Knobs five years ago. It's now our number one finish at Top Knobs. It's insane how much the gold tones uh, have taken over the kitchen and bath industry. Uh, so it's been phenomenal. How does it how does it work with the design team? Because as designers see new product, new new colorways, new themes, things coming out of Maison, things coming yeah. out of Salone, and then how does it make it through your 
design process through your design team to the dealers? So our design team travels to all these shows. Their ears is to the street for what is trending all throughout Europe. Um, you know, pre-COVID, uh, they would travel with me around all the major metropolitan markets throughout the United States. So uh, the design team would come with me to Miami, South, uh, to New York, Los Angeles, talk to our biggest customers, talk to the designers at our showrooms. Um, so. That's how we learn, that's what we learn is trending, by keeping our ear to the streets, going to these shows, talking to our customers, and getting feedback. So, um, you know, kudos to our design team for, you know, not thinking they know it all, and, you know, still wanting to go out there and, uh, you know, listen to hear what everybody else has to say. Tell me about the company. So Top Knobs has been in business, whew, I guess we're on year 28. Um, started as a family-owned company um, with, you know, two porcelain collections of knobs. And slowly but surely, we just started building a brand. And um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really cool story. I started at Top Knob 16 years ago when it was a small family-owned company. We got purchased by Private Investment Group in, in 2008. And uh, they believed in us. They invested all the capital that we needed to come out with the new products. Um, you know, when they purchased us, we came out with seven new collections in one year. And if you're familiar with Top Knobs, each collection is on a display board. So we had seven new display boards that we had to get out in the field. And, you know, this private investment group, just every single year after year, they believe in us. They give us all the money we need for tooling, all the money we need to subsidize our boards to get them out in the field. So every single customer has our new products. And, um, you know, the thing about Top Knobs is we try to be the easiest company to work with. We know that... Uh, when you're doing a kitchen and bath remodel or a kitchen and bath project or new construction, we know there's a lot more stressful products to worry about than cabinet knobs. So the thing about top knobs is we have it in stock. We have a 99% fill rate. Uh, we have a very accessible customer service team that you know if there's an issue, you can pick up the phone and call and you'll talk to a live person within seconds. And if there's a problem, you know we're quick to fix it. And, and that's the nice thing about cabinet hardware. If there's an issue, it's a cabinet knob. If something's wrong with it, we'll send you another one. We have a lifetime warranty. We have a free sample program. We just try to make ourselves the easiest company in the kitchen and bath industry to do business with. What are you seeing now as far as raw material, as far as supply chain, as far as getting product to job site? What are you seeing, you know, product to project? Really? We're in a much better place than where we were a year ago. Of course. Yes, what, are you, what are you seeing moving forward? I feel like it's not ever going to be as easy as it was in the past. Um, do you think that's true? I do. I, I, think there's, I think we're in this new normal where there's always going to be something to gum up the scene somewhere along the way, whether it's you know freight costs, shipping costs, it just seems like we're in a world where there's always going to be something that there's always going to be something they're going to stick in the spokes to screw it up for us. But uh, but I think we've all learned a lot over the last couple of years, and we've learned how to do business smarter. And um, but I do think we're in a new normal, and I think it's not going to be as easy as it was in the past. But um, you know we got a great sourcing team. We have great relationships with all the people, all of our suppliers overseas. Um, you know, great relationships with you know how how big of a company we are with the, with the with the freight and logistic companies. So, you know, we're we're our issues right now are minimal. Um, you know, compared to where they were a year ago with supply chain issues and raw material costs and container costs and all that stuff. We're in a much better place today than we were where we were a year ago. Very cool. And for those listening, uh, if you want to check them out, check the show notes. There will be a uh, a linked. To, uh, to Top Knobs. Matt, thank you. Hey, thank you so much for having us. Uh, it's great. I mean, this just as we sit here now, this booth is jam-packed, and I haven't seen a Cabus like this in a very, very long time. So it, It's crazy, right? It's going to be a wild two and a half days coming up here. So. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, Josh. Man. Thank you, Matt. 
I found another previous Convo by Design guest and panel participant, as well as moderator. This is Band Design's Sarah Malik Barney. It is too loud because there's a lot of people here. It is very loud. Yeah. I couldn't hear anything on my panel, and I was on the panel. <laughs> what, what, when was your panel? When? Yeah. Like an hour ago. What was it? I don't know. I still don't know what it is that we talk about, to be honest with you. I'm not even kidding. The title was like, The Futurists of Business Innovation, and I was like, those are words that mean nothing. Yeah. And then we, we it followed no path. I, I'm so glad you brought this up, because you and I have known each other for a while. Mm-hmm. And COVID days, even. Pre-COVID yeah. days. Yeah. And you have been on a panel of mine, mm-hmm. and you have been the moderator of a panel that I have produced. Yes. And let's just, let's chop that up for a second, because what I find so interesting is, nowadays you get that a lot, right? It's like, here's a word salad. We're going to put all of these, like, really important, pertinent, relevant words together. <laughs> yes. Buzzwords. Buzzwords. Yes. And then we're going to call it a panel, and we're going to put people <laughs> together who are going to talk about, I mean, if you want to just talk about the words, that's one thing, but... I think the ideas are so much more important. I was on a panel yesterday, and it was the one of the first times that I was on a panel as a guest, not as a moderator. Oh, interesting. And Brigan, yes, Brigan was she the moderator? Moderated. Oh, it, how funny! And it was about podcasts. So there were four other, po- three other oh, podcasters okay. with me. Yeah. And I had so much fun. Did you not being in charge? <laughs> <laughs> you like being the boss. I do. You're the boss. I do. Yeah. You, you are the boss. Yes. Yes. And that's a lane I'm comfortable in. It yes. is. Yeah. And because of that, you have one of the things that I love most about you and your firm, the work you do, is how multifaceted you are. But also, it's been very well crafted, it's been well thought out, it's been well put together. And the, you have these business lanes that you stay in, they're multiple. Yeah. How do you manage that? Well, I think, you know, at the beginning of it all, I was kind of trying to do a little bit of everything. And it was like, I'm going to have a shop and I'm going to do the, and I'm going to make my own products. And then I realized I can't do all those things well. And so instead of casting a wide net, it's sort of just focusing on doing a couple of things really well and honing in on that. And so that's what I just keep reminding myself because we could do a million different things, but I'm not going to do them well, you know? So that's, that's where I keep it. That's how I stay in the lane. Do you have an order of operations? (laughs) <laughs> do you have like, do you have like an order of things, and the the manner? Okay, there's the design business, and yes. there's the the development side, yes. and there's the media and the marketing of yeah. the firms. Do you do you have uh, which which comes first, design? Uh, it should, Not but, necessi- it, but it doesn't necessarily. For me, no. For me, it's about the health of the business, the growth of the business, and sort of that forward thinking. I'm that visionary to the business. Now, for other pe- if you ask other people in my firm, yeah, they should be saying design first. But for me, it's about where are we going to go in one month, one year, 10 years, and making sure we're on that track and sticking with that vision. Visionaries cannot do day-to-day. No, they cannot. Nor should they. <laughs> no, they should not. It would break. If yeah. I had to do it day-to-day, it would break. It would be very bad. I cannot see... I cannot see the forest or the trees. I cannot see those details. So um, it definitely, I lean on people to help me with that. How do you find good people, especially today? It's really tough. It's really tough. What I've learned is you can't hire just based on skill. It is more about a culture fit 
And if you like the person, then it is anything else. Because as long as they have an eye, especially when it comes to design, as long as they have an eye, you can train them on anything else. So if, you, if they're a good culture fit and you like them as a person and you're invested in their growth as a, as a designer, as a professional, then they're a perfect fit. But if they're not, see you later. And so, I mean, I think it, you know when you know. And it's a very much a gut call. And we've been through a, a lot of bad gut decisions, you know? Tell me about the work. Tell me about the design. Tell me about the state of Austin. And here's what's interesting, too. I love Austin. Yes. I feel about Austin. I'm, I, I like Austin a great, a great deal. I feel like Austin has one foot firmly planted in the future with one eye on the past. Well, I think that's the... Um nature of Austin in general, it's, you know, is always like keep Austin weird and, and there's still that old guard and they do not want to let go of the weirdness of Austin. I have not seen it slip away so much that I have in the last couple of years and it does feel very different now than it did two years ago. And I mean, it's been growing like crazy for, a, you know, 15 years, but really in the last two years is when you really feel the shift of it. You can't get reservations places. You can't park anywhere. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's it's a different city now. Yeah, it is a different city, though. And and to that point, you know, I think South by changed, materially changed Austin. It did, yes. And I could say that because I worked for South by Southwest for seven years, and um, it, it's so ingrained in the culture of the city. But now it's like this is another conference that just happens. People don't care as much about the music side of it the way they used to. They don't care about the art and the the uh, creative community that comes for it anymore. It's all about what tech businesses are going to come and what panels am I going to go see. So it's it, the, the attitude of it is very different than it was, for sure. And here's what's interesting, too, about your firm, is you do residential development. Yes. You have this all-encompassing residential development yes. arm of the business. Okay, no BS, seriously. How do you do that <laughs> in a market like Austin? Holy cow. Um, Real estate. Good Lord. It's tough. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I think the way we've done it that I feel like is a little bit smart is we're not trying to be some massive home builder. We're not trying to be somebody we're not. And we're not trying to build it too quickly. I mean, right now we've got four properties. Only one is super active in construction. And we're sort of, you know, doing a step by step instead of doing like 10 at a time. And I think to slow roll it a little bit like that and... You know, the main reason I started it is to have more design forward flips, new builds than the same crap that was going up with the white subway tile and the same whatever fell off the back of a truck. So there's a little bit more thought and care put into it that translates, I think, into a feeling and helps, well, one, drive up the sales price of the house, but also make it a little bit more of a unique experience. And that's that doesn't happen in Austin. And I don't know if that really happens a lot in a lot of places. And so I think that's sort of the the secret sauce to be able to play in that crazy space. Why do you think that doesn't happen more? I don't know. I mean, I like for me it seems like a duh no-brainer, right? But I but for whatever reason people aren't thinking of that and I think for, that's from a designer's perspective. If you're a if you're a developer in general, you're only looking at the bottom line. You do not care about the output. So I think unless you are a creative coming at it, you're not thinking about it. And I think a lot of creatives aren't thinking about it. I think they are just siloed in their design and not really thinking past what's right in front of their face. 
Do you think, though, that after the last three years, after what we've all been through, that people have woken up to the fact that design is experiential and good design is something that's not about what's on the walls or about the space, but it's about the experience that you have in the place. I definitely think there's more of that than there ever was before, but I definitely think there's still people who think that what we do is frivolous and unnecessary. You think? Yes. Huh. Yes. Yes. And I won't even name the professions of the ones that I think typically fall in that bucket. But we love architects. We do. No, no, is that a, yeah, the, yeah, architects, yeah, yeah. I was more talking I about kid. doctors. I kid, I kid. Uh, no, I'm kidding too. Wink. Um, no, I, I think there's, there is definitely more value put on it and people are more trusting than they were of what we're doing. But I definitely think that there's still people out there like, yeah, yeah, I just need a couch. Can you help me? You know, and they don't actually care what we're doing or what value we're bringing to the table. Yeah, but I don't know. I'm taking that in for a moment. You what? I'm taking that in for a moment. Okay. Because I think, I think you're right in, in some form or fashion. I think that, look, design is a, is a creative endeavor. It's, yep. a, it's a form of art. It is absolutely, make no mistake about it. It is a subjective it. sport. It, yeah. And there will always be those who think that certain forms of art, someone can look at a painting. And the painting, to me, paintings are the perfect comparison. Because there are some who can look at fine art and say, oh, ugh, whatever. I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. It's the thing. There are others who can say, yes, it's wonderful, but I'm, I would never pay a million dollars for a painting. Right. And then there are some who would say, well, I don't understand. The canvas costs ten bucks, and the right. paint on there is another ten. That's twenty dollars worth it's of material. Property, though, at the end of the day, what you're paying for it. It is, but it's more than that. Yes, it's emotional. Yeah, good art makes you think. It makes you feel. Yeah, it gives you something emotionally. Yeah, and music. I'm a, I love jazz. Jazz, music, any music yeah. that you love, transcends, and it takes you someplace else. Yeah good design it takes you someplace else but do you think it's like um it's like one of those things you don't know if you don't know so until you've experienced no good question. design, so of course somebody's gonna be like yeah what you're doing is just decorating a house and it's no big deal and you know move on with your life but then when they've really experienced good design then that's when they really appreciate it and they really see it for what it is no question yeah no question and and that is what's most important yeah. about it. And I, and I think that that's part of the problem too is, you know, or, or part of the solution is that many, look, your clients are never going to come to KBiz and yeah. walk around and go, oh my gosh, this is... Oh my God, I would never bring them. <laughs> Do you know what's funny though? I will tell you something. I think more clients should come to this. No, I don't. I'll tell you why. Okay. Because if they came to this, they would understand that it's not like walking into a store where you have four pairs of pants and three shirts from which to choose. <laughs> yes. There's, there's a difference yeah. in, in, the, in the experience that a good designer brings to the table. Yes. And I mean, that's what we tell our clients, you know, when we're specifying a sofa, for example, I say, I went to High Point Market and I sat on 75,000 sofas so that I could recommend these two to you 
in good faith so you don't need to look at them. And that's what you're paying me for. You're paying me for that knowledge and that experience. And once they're reminded of that, they usually get it. They don't need to see everything. We have very few clients that ask to sit on things in advance, very few. They just trust it. We, we're recommending it because we know it's good quality and we know it goes with the design. It all is a perfect piece and they understand that's why they're hiring us, for sure. Yeah. Has the, has the table been leveled to some small degree in relation to product and price and cost? Because, I mean, look, I, I think gone are the days, I say this because more designers understand their value more than they used to. But, you know, you will still have some clients who say, look, why don't you just give me your discount? I got the eye roll. I love that. By the way, I love that because that is probably the one thing that it's like, oh my gosh, don't I don't ever want to hear that again. I've actually gotten in fights with other designers about it, about yes. that question, because we all actually feel differently about that question. And for me, it's the most offensive question you can ask. As it is, and I'm not easily offended. You could say just about anything to me, but that is, if as client says that to me, I shut it down immediately because you would never ne name another profession where you would walk in and say, "Can I have your, can I have your discount?" Or go into Target and say, how, "Yeah, how much did you buy that toothbrush for? I want to buy it for that price." Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. The fact that they think it's okay, but it's our own fault. Because years ago, there were people who would pass, because they didn't know how to sell. And so they were like, this is the way I can talk them into it. This is the way I can get them on board. And now it's created this never-ending domino. Two parts to that. The first is, and I put it firmly, like you said, on the designers who said, you know, our business model, I'll just pass on, I'll charge a retainer and, and pass on my, my trade discount. That should never happen. No. The other part is the design, the design centers never should have allowed consumers into the design center. It Absolutely should be. Not. I, when I say that, that clients and customers should come to KBiz, tongue in cheek, com complete hyperbole, their heads would explode yes. if you tried to navigate this. Well, then I'll send a reel. Like, I'll take an Instagram reel and they can see what all the things I yeah. saw. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but it has to be highly edited because yeah. there's no way. I mean, look, there's. I don't know how, if there's a million square feet here or not, but I walked in. <laughs> it's funny. I've been here before and I walked into like the north exhibition hall and I was like oh it's gotten smaller this year and it was like yeah because that's just north yeah. then there's west and yep. central I mean yep. it's gotten 30% bigger oh my it's crazy yeah it's crazy here and I, I used to come for CES and it's I mean this place is just a zoo it's wild here yeah. what, what's next for you Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I'm really focused on the development side of our business. That's where I spend a lot of our time, um, a lot of my time. And it, it, for me, it's about figuring out what is the best path for us as a business in the next two to three, four years. From a branding standpoint, from a pr product, what are we putting out there in the marketplace? And really honing in on the clients we work with. Because for so long, it was sort of fly by the seat of our pants. And if they seem sort of okay fit, let's take it. And now we're saying no to so much more than we ever did before. And it's like, I know that we can make some money, but it's not worth it. They don't fit. They don't fit. We have somebody right now that we're talking to, and she's super sweet. She came as a referral from her next door neighbor where we did work on her house. And the way she wants us to slice the deal, I'm like, that's not how we work. And, it's just, and I want to work with her. She's a referral. She seems like a great person, but... She just isn't gonna. She just doesn't fit in with how we do our projects, and so it's hard to say no to people like that because you know they're good people. You know it'll be a okay project, but she wants us to bill hourly. We don't bill, bill hourly. She wants us to go to a showroom with her. We don't go to showrooms with clients. So like, there's 
certain things like that. It's like now I can say no to them and just say it doesn't fit. So it's a great place to be being look in life when you have when you're in a position to say no it it makes the yeses so much better yes because it's what you want to be working yeah. on not what not what you feel like you have to be working yeah. on yeah and i'm like a big time nerd it's our only finite asset i say it all the time if i'm somewhere and i'm spending my time on it it's because i want to do it not because i just have to do it so i'm very big on that and very aware of how where my time goes where my team's time goes yeah. That's super, super important to me because that's the only thing I can't add more of. I got nowhere to go with that. Thank you. This was awesome. You're welcome. I love catching up with yes, you. Yes, this is so fun. I love this setup. Right? Yeah, it's super cute. Yeah. Ne <laughs> next event, you're going to be doing this. Am I? Oh, yeah. All right. Let's do it. All right. Thank you, Brooke. This is Christine Vroom. When was... It's so funny because we were talking about Legends. That's the last time we saw each other. But you and I have spoken on a show yes and I'm trying to remember how long ago but it doesn't really matter it doesn't it was, matter it doesn't matter but you it know, was less than a year ago yeah but that's what I've realized too is like the, after the last three years it's like you know what time doesn't matter no it stands still doesn't matter um, what does matter is back in Vegas for KBiz and it's pretty amazing this year it's pretty crazy yeah if you so this is the first day. Have you have you had a chance to walk the floor at all? We did. We were we've done I'd say half ish. Whoa! No, you haven't. Not possible. <laughs> you're, you're saying half of this room. Half of half of the wet. We went to the west side. Okay. We just arrived. Okay. And this this way. So it's so funny because that was so when I got here this morning, I was like. I walked in, I was like, oh, okay, this is so manageable. I can totally do this. Yeah, no, I walked into the North Hall hmm. um, and didn't even see the West Hall or the South Hall or didn't even know that I was in the new part. I, we couldn't even find the West wall, Hall. <laughs> I, yes, in I know. The main building. And then you've got the whole loop thing. So if you're not familiar with the loop. So we just took the loop. The did loop you? was awesome. What'd you think of that? We were like at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Right, you it's go a ride. In, there's rocks, right, and then all the, all the Teslas are lined up, and then you go through the tunnel of lights. It's very exciting. It's the Hyperloop. So this is Tesla. This is the the Elon Musk company, the boring company, that does that does the tunnels. So they tunnel in, and then you've got Teslas that actually drive you around. Yeah, it was fun. It's like a ride. It was like a ride. Yeah, love that. Yeah. So what have you seen so far that you're crashing on? Well, we went to the Monogram uh, booth, okay. which was incredible. Have you been there yet? No. It was set up, I mean, whoever designed it, spectacular job. Each room, there was like a bar, like a bakery. Then you go into this designer kitchen with this amazing new brass finishes. Like it was just really well done. So they've set up different kitchens and, um, I think that was sort of the hype for me so far. Was it the experience or was it the product? Both. So let's talk about kitchens for a second. Okay. What are you being asked for in the kitchen that you weren't maybe asked for a few years ago? Multiple dishwashers. Yeah. Lots of stuff. The coffee maker, the multiple dishwashers, the ice makers, 
um, beverage faucets, taps, um, wine fridges, you name it, fridge drawers, beverage drawers, so, all the stuff. Yeah, so it's interesting, the, this idea of the heart of the home, Yeah. which is, it, it, isn't it funny? Because if you would have shown someone a kitchen, here's the funny part, if you would have shown someone the likes of the kind of kitchen that you're working on now, in comparison to what oh. you were doing 10 years ago, mm-hmm. what people were asking for 10 years ago, they'd be like, oh, that's, that's the kitchen of the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, the coffee machine is going to be standard at some point. Definitely. It's right? almost becoming standard. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the cooling drawers, the warming drawers. The steam t- ovens. The steam ovens. Mm. The combi steam ovens. Is, is this whole gas is going away thing affecting you at all in the manner in which you design now? I can't imagine gas going away. Um, I feel like the, the cooking in general would be a little bit more challenging, or a lot of it more challenging. Um, I'm hoping not. <laughs> I'm hoping we're in the kitchen of the future, meaning we're not going to take away how we cook. Um, and I think the, the whole more is more might wind up being a less is more in the future future. So it's that ever evolving. And as far as the, the locations where you're designing now, are you staying pretty pretty local or are you moving around a bit? Moving around, but we are definitely in, a, in the bubble. So from basically beach cities of Los Angeles okay. into Los Angeles, though. Okay. Yeah. It's funny because um, Manhattan Beach is home, but we moved to Tulsa. So we're living in Tulsa now. And going from... Okay, I so mean, that's a shocking change. Okay, so here's what's, here's what's <laughs> funny about that. The, the house we're in now is basically the size of our lot at the beach. Oh, yeah. Shocking difference. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It is a shocking difference, but yeah. there's other differences, too, because you have to design differently. And, um, you know, for you, what are your clients asking for, and how are you navigating the... Because in L.A., it doesn't feel like a smaller space. In L.A., it's just, it is what it is. In New York, it is what it is. The the size of your lot, the size of your apartment, whether you have a yard or you don't have a yard or you have a terrace, it just is what it is. You find a way to work within that. How is L.A. changing? More people are moving in from outside. The beach cities are getting more compacted, for sure. How How does that inform what you do and what your clients are asking for? Ooh, that's a hard question. Um, well, I would, I mean, where we are, I would say there's mostly a view. <laughs> so we have something to work with, right? So we're, I mean, I'm not really seeing a lot of people <laughs> moving to, right? We're not getting a lot of people from like Texas that are coming to California. There's like more of like an exodus of people leaving and then people moving just from different cities to get closer and closer and closer to the beach. So, I mean, everything is about the view where we are. So I would, I mean, we kind of have to do everything to enhance the view, meaning configurations of kitchens, products, right? So it, it's kind of like a, but not really from out of town. Like nobody from Tulsa. Yeah, no, it's interesting. <laughs> People from Texas don't move to California. It's, it's the other way no, around. And yeah, it's, and they're leaving. Except the New Yorkers, uh, East Coast will always come 
the West because the weather's always better. Because the price is about the same. Because the price is about the same. Yeah. It, it fluctuates to some degree, but but not so much. Um, and the fact that it, but listen, it gets it gets a little tougher for you being in California to specify certain products, you know, because if, if they do outlaw, you know, gas outlets, putting in gas is going to be tough. It's not going to be the same as just being, well, I guess you can, but it's not going to be the same as being able to drive to Arizona for your toilets. Yeah. You know, if they outlaw or ban gas outlets. I mean, then we're going to have to adjust. You're going to have to adjust. We're going to have to adjust. Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, and I think that they've been coming out with some really amazing products, mm-hmm. like the, um, what's that one called with the glass top? The um, Induction. Induction. Thank you. Do you know what's funny? Can I tell you something? I have the hardest time remembering what induction, the word. Like, <laughs> I have the hardest time with that word. So, I, no, I totally get it. The only yeah. reason I remember it is because we just specified one. So we're, oh. we just, we're, we're replacing a, a gas range with induction. induction because I want to see how it works. Right. I want to see if I like it. I love gas. Love Me gas. too. I've always loved gas. I know. I so love, how's it working out? Have, don't have it yet. Oh, okay. Don't have it yet. Is it back ordered it, for a year? Well, of course it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but no, so we're supposed to get it at the end of the month, but I'm, I'm anxious to see it because what, I, what I've been told is the difference between induction and gas is that gas you cook based on the flame and induction you can you cook based on the food right okay yeah okay you can get behind that i can get behind that i yeah. don't know if it's going to work but we're going to we're going to try it out i'll let you know um yeah. what i do love is that as as a designer you have options now that gosh you didn't have before a lot of you, options you can now take your your warming drawers and put them in a bathroom to put the towels in yeah <laughs> that would be fun <laughs> Doable. Also, with the with the electric, I'm just thinking like, I think we're gonna have to need an evolution of countertop options because remember that whole thing came out with the burners under the, the counter and this whole seamless approach. I think that's like a shiny, flashy light thing that people can get behind, but you're really limited on counter options that would be able to do that. And you know who's gonna figure that out? Designers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's why you need a designer. And that's why, you know, I love telling the stories behind great design. And for those who are listening, um, if you want to see Christine's work, which is amazing, go to the show notes and I will have a link there to her website and you can see what she does because it's phenomenal. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. So good chatting with you. I know, right? (laughs) Thank you. Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery-style space with a thoughtful display of products, purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High-end faucets, luxury tile, natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available, stop by to find your inspiration, Collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world, 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. Wow, jam-packed, am I right? Thank you, Sarah, Matt, Roz, Andreas, Bregan, Christine, and John. Thank you, Convo by Design partners and sponsors, Thermosol, Moya Living, and Design Hardware for your partnership and sponsorship. I appreciate you, and I love the way you support the design industry the way you do. For those listening who want to learn more, please check the show notes for links. Thank you 
so much for listening to the show. I know you have other options out there. I know your time is stretched. I know now more than ever, there are a lot of shows and you chose Convo by Design. I appreciate that. Thank you. I hope you found this episode to be of value and use of of your time because that's my goal. Let's do this again, shall we? Say next week. Until then, be well and take today first. Mm -hmm.